From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. And thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with a simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. William Peters, a pioneer in the field of shared death experiences, uh, stays with us, founder of the Shared Crossing Project and uh, author of At Heaven's Door. And we'll remind you again, if you go to Shared Crossing, sorry, Shared Crossing, uh, SharedCrossing.com, SharedCrossing.com, and you can sign up for the uh, seven-module live online course uh, Wednesdays beginning April 27th to June the 8th. Again, sharedcrossing.com. And uh, what is the uh, the code that uh, my listeners can use for a, a 10% discount? Uh, shared crossing. That's all caps. Then the number 10 for 10% off. Shared crossing, all in caps, and then the number 10. All right. Um, let's kind of reset because this is hour two and there may be some uh, people just joining the program. Give us, give us the definition for a uh, shared death experience or SDE. Yeah. So a shared death experience occurs when somebody dies and a loved one caregiver, and in some cases a, a, a bystander reports that they feel like they shared in the dying person's transition from their human existence in their, you know, in their human body into an afterlife. And this is typically, uh, you know, the phenomena are these phenomena that in our culture we relate to as near-death experience phenomena. So uh, out-of-body experiences, visionary realms, heavenly realms, past life review, excuse me, life reviews of either the dying or your time together with the dying. There's light is a big feature of this. You're often traveling in a cylinder of light or towards a big luminous light, and you see deceased loved ones as a greeting party, elevated beings of all types that can appear as angels or uh, light beings, spirit guides, what have you. Oh, and of course, the most common phenomena is that the experiencer, surviving loved one or caregiver, reports seeing the dying in this transition. Like, so they're, and they're moving along with them in many of these cases uh, as they progress, typically heading upwards in, in their journeys into this afterlife. Uh, you, you are a hospice a volunteer. You mentioned, you know, obviously doctors, nurses, um, first responders. Let's say, for example, a firefighter with the jaws of life trying to, to take, you know, to get at an, a car accident victim. Uh, do they, on occasion, also experience an STE? Yes, they do. And this is one of the focus points of the Shared Crossing Project, and that is advocacy for the knowledge of these experiences for first responders of all kinds because I've done, there are a few studies out there that talk about um, spiritual experiences for first responders where they feel like the spirit of the deceased came to them and 
they somehow didn't know what to didn't know how to make sense of it and it kind of freaked them out and yes so in my experience when i've worked with first responders in this regards is by teaching them about the shared death experience and the various phenomena the first responders have these aha moments like oh wait a minute i was just with them that makes sense it's like oh i can let it go i thought that somehow there was something weird about this and that you know um, so yes first responders have these and i and they need the education and support around this so they don't feel like um, they're being freaked out by a wayward spirit and and i will say that these cultures this is by the um, by the expressions of the first responders we've interviewed is that in some of these cultures it's not really um, shall we say, professionally acceptable to share about these experiences. So we're trying to change that because we want people to know, first responders and others, to know these experiences happen. They're actually, you know, more common than we know. And you may be gifted by a, someone dying coming to you to appreciate you or show you the other side or... Um, perhaps even deliver a message to a, a loved one, especially if it's a first responder dealing with a sudden, unexpected, tragic death. You may be the last person they communicate with in this way. Uh, we know that, that people that have near-death experiences and come back, oftentimes that just changes mm -hmm. the trajectory of their life you know, forever. Uh, has such a profound impact. Sometimes I, I've read there have actually been phys physical changes in that person. In other words, they look different when they come back and their life is never the same. And the things that they were interested in, they leave all of that behind. Sometimes it can be the end of relationships because those two people are, they're strangers now. What about the person that has the shared death experience? Can it have that kind of long lasting impact? Can it totally irrevocably change the trajectory of their life and who they are as a person? Yeah, this is a wonderful question. And you just to, just to affirm what you just, uh, the research you cited for the near-death experiences, of which I've had two near-death experiences. Um, yes, the profoundness of the near-death experience is significant, and the changes, transformations you identified are well-known amongst us who research at the NDEs. Uh, in the shared death experience, we don't see that, what I would call, um, challenge in coming back to your life and the need to, um, you know, primary relationships don't seem to be as challenged. I think there are significant transformations, but, and this is important because these transformations are typically invitational in the sense that, we do see SDE experiences coming back and saying things like, I now know the purpose of the human life generally, and I now understand that I have a purpose here during my lifetime, and I'm either going to, I know what it is, I'm going to get about living it right now and make significant changes, uh, or they're going to commit themselves to finding out or yeah, searching, if you will, for a higher calling in their life. Uh, but to be clear, unlike this, the near-death experience, it, we don't 
seen at this point. Now, I, when we do more research on this, I could take back these words I'm speaking right now. But it seems like shared death experiences, perhaps because they're witnesses to these experiences, they're witnessing a dying person's transition, they're not, in, they're not experiencing a trauma, they're not experiencing uh, a direct threat to their life. The impact in that way is less. Um, and that doesn't mean that the transformation is less for the SDE experiencer. I think it's less when you, when you consider the physical challenges that so many NDEers have to come back and deal with because they've had a severe uh, brush with death that's compromised their physiology in some significant way. Uh, for the SDE, they come, they're healthy in mind and body. They come back, and now their work is to integrate this experience, but it doesn't seem to have some of the uh, overt negative uh, ramifications that the NDEs have. How about your NDEs? Were they traumatic? Well, yes. Um, my first one was a high-speed skiing accident at 17 years old uh, where I fractured um, the lumbars, lumbars uh, 4 and 5 and some compression fracture that went also into uh, a sacroiliac 1. So, yeah, that, that almost, uh, as my orthopedic uh, surgeon indicated, that I was one thirty-second of an inch away from being a paraplegic. Um, so that that was a, and I've lived in you know some degree of chronic pain and physical limitation for most of my adult life. That's a significant trauma at the level, of not just physically with the pain and such, but also at the level of uh, identity. You know, who am I? I mean, I was the athlete prior to that time, and um, I've never was able to regain that sense of uh, strength and confidence and and uh, vitality in my physical body. It's really been a struggle to maintain health and, and ease of movement. Uh, so those are significant traumas. Uh, and my second experience left me, uh, it was an idiopathic thromocytopenia for those who are uh, in the medical profession. That's a, a crashing platelet, low platelet condition that is terminal, life-threatening. And that left me uh, deeply fatigued and uh, somewhat lost uh, because of the because and it wasn't so much it was there wasn't a great deal of pain in it it was more just low energy and uh, a disorientation as my body tried to rebalance after the the severe imbalance in my blood so yes I my NDEs were quite traumatic for me and quite impactful upon my life and they remain so today. Uh, well, I mean, you were near have. death, but did you get the whole experience, sort of, you know, the, the, the welcoming party, the tunnel of light? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, my near-death experience, my first near-death experience, um, now, Richard, remind me, did I share my first near-death experience? I don't think I did. Um, well, the, the, and, the skiing accident, yes, the skiing yeah, accident. Yeah, that's it. So that's my first near-death experience. So, yeah, I mean, I did not have a welcoming party in mind at all, uh, which is is... I mean, it's not so much every SDE, every NDE is unique. So to say that, wow, I didn't have a full NDE, well, that's not true at all. I had a rather full NDE, but I didn't have a welcoming party, and the only elevated being I saw or felt was what I would call God, uh, the ultimate source, which I was negotiating for my life with. Um, so 
you know, in terms of whether I could come back or not. So, yeah, um, help me out. Am I answering the question here? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. How did that negotiation go? I mean, what did you put on the table? Well, I just said I wanted to come back because I really, I, you know, unlike so many near-death experiencers, I, I felt like I hadn't come to, I hadn't completed what I incarnated to do in this life. And even though I was 17 years old, I was, that was the one thing I was clear about was that I did not complete my mission, if you will. I wanted to come back and do something. I don't know what it was, but I also had the sense that I don't want, I knew that I'd have to come back and incarnate again. And I said, I don't want to do those childhood years again. Um, so I had a sense that a lot of my, you know, reason for being on the and that lifetime was coming up for me. I was preparing for the work of my life, if you will. And I didn't want to go through childhood again if, in fact, I was leaving at that point, dying at that point, leaving that life, and then would have to come back again and, and somehow uh, recreate the conditions to pursue or complete that life mission. Uh, and I, you know, you're hearing a lot about my kind of cosmological views, if you will, my uh, theological, philosophical views on the purpose and meaning of a human life, uh, but it seemed pretty clear to me in that point that when we come to this earth or this human experience to, um, uh, you know, develop, practice, have certain experiences, and I was getting close to those in this in that lifetime when I had my first NDE, and so the negotiation was. Not so much me negotiating as much as me pleading with God, let me go back, let me go back, let me go back. And at some point I felt this push back uh, from uh, the light. I was really in the light, comfortable. I felt the push back from the light and a, a, uh, a telepathic communication make something of your life. And in either of the NDEs, was do you do you know whether there was also a shared death experience with someone close to you? No, I did not. That's a, a question that's never been asked of me, Richard. That's a brilliant question, and no, I do not. I did not feel I shared that with anybody. I don't think anyone shared it. No one ever came up to me afterwards or at any point in my life to express that I was with you during that SDE or I saw you there. So you so the. If a person has an NDE and comes back, they wouldn't necessarily know that they that there was a shared death experience. Well, that's a great question too. I mean, it could very well be um, that um, somebody could say, "Well, I was with you. I saw you there." And you know, this is the work of mediums. Who uh, I'm, of, of, there are more than just mediums that can do this. But I have talked to people who, mediums in particular, who have said, um, oh, yeah, I, I see that experience. And you may say, well, that's bizarre. They could see that experience. Well, they're accessing um, perhaps the Akashic Record or something like that. I use these terms loosely just not because I don't believe they don't exist. I use it because I'm not an expert in these um, in the Akashic Records or other um, modalities of this sort that give access to lifetimes or these types of near-death experiences that are in another dimension. 
But I have had that experience where a couple mediums have said, oh, yeah, I'm seeing that now. You had this type of experience. You were here. You were there. I'm like, oh, wow, this is all recorded somewhere. So they're not having a shared death experience with me in real time, so to speak. They're able to go back and see what I went through, which is very compelling uh, in and of itself. Right, right. How do... um medical doctors, uh, you know, people of science, and I know medicine is also an art, but these are men and women of science. And some of them, you know, are materialists. Uh, They don't have a a spiritual bone in their body. Uh, And, I mean, we've we've seen studies, for example, I think there was one in Switzerland where they tried to replicate an out-of-body experience by stimulating certain cortexes in the brain and said, aha, you see, it's, it's just electrical, electrical activity. It's an illusion. It's uh, the product of a dying brain or whatever. But the materialists that have these experiences, how do they try to explain it away? Do they have a narrative? Well, you, you're on it. I mean, the SDE is unexplainable to the scientific materialists of today and medical sciences who adhere to that um, scientific view. To be clear, the the hitch, if you will, occurs because in the modern uh, scientific materialist view, which is dominant in in, uh, medical sciences, is that consciousness is dependent upon and created by the human brain. So when there is human death, which is cessation of brain functioning, there can no longer be consciousness. So, or, or any continuation of any uh, aliveness that would be identified with a soul, spirit, self uh, related to that human life just ended, there's no scientific explanation for that. So for that community, these experiences don't have any credibility because they can't exist in their paradigm. But the problem, as we know, is in the paradigm. It's not in the experience. The paradigm is too limited. Now, this being said, there's plenty of research that, uh, that suggests that, you know, while I think 73% of Americans in the last Pew study on uh, questions about religion and spirituality, one of which is a belief in an afterlife, you know, like I said, almost 73% of three-quarters of uh, North Americans and Europeans believe in an afterlife. And, and, it's, and, and medical doctors, there's a similar study done in, I believe it was the University of Chicago, um, I think it was 10, 15 years ago, that found that, you know, 65% of doctors had similar beliefs. So, you know, two-thirds of, of doctors believe in an afterlife. But they're able to somehow, um, there's, though their personal beliefs, spiritual religious beliefs, don't jive with their medical beliefs. And I don't know how people, you know, make sense of that, but your, your question about how the medical sciences and medical personnel make sense of this, uh, I've explained, they don't. They don't have a model that holds this. Uh, now there are a lot, there are plenty within the system, that medical system, that acknowledge the limitations 
of medical sciences, and those are the people that uh, I think are the doctors you want to be dealing with, and those are the ones that we're dealing with because we need to find a way to make these experiences a part of healthcare, especially at end of life. Uh, William Peters, pioneer in the field of the SDE and also the founder of the Shared Crossing Project, sharedcrossing.com, sharedcrossing.com. We'll take another time out, come back, and we will get to some questions from the YouTube live stream. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. So, William... There are certain people that have spontaneous uh, out-of-body experiences. It's not even necessarily associated with trauma. They just, all of a sudden, you know, they wake up and maybe they're floating above their body. Uh, is is there a connection between those spontaneous OBEs and an NDE and a shared, or an SDE, a shared death experience? You know, you know, once again, you're spot on. There, there are these spontaneous OBEs. Um, most OBEs have some sort of trauma uh, induction, if you will, but a lot don't. And and there are people who can develop practices, can and do develop practices where they can uh, initiate. Um, OBEs. There's a whole, you know, organization. I forget. It's um, you know, Luis Minero is runs a whole program. Um, I forget the name of it. Something about consciousness. Um, but but yeah, and they train people how to how to have OBEs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's not much, you know, in the SDE arena. What's so profound about the SDEs? is that, one, they're not very well known at all. In fact, I'd say that, you know, my book, At Heaven's Door, is the most widely read and, uh, you know, I'll clear the first really research-based expose on the shared death experience, and it's only been out since January, uh, but thankfully the the receptivity... um, in the general public and even end-of-life professionals has been quite positive, thankfully. Uh, so, you know, I, I think they're the same type of experience, especially when, um, when they happen, shall I say, naturally. I think, the, I think there are ways that you can create, you know, dissociative experiences or experiences where your sense of self, if you were, that observing part of your consciousness is uh, detached from your physical body, or at least outside of it, perceiving from outside your physical body. Um, But I just think the SDE um, is, is is a natural, organic process similar to the NDE that is invoked by usually some sort of trauma. Um... Yeah, I hope that makes sense in a certain way. But I'll tell you one, I'll tell you that there will be more research in this area, this whole understanding of how one's consciousness can seemingly uh, have a perception, uh, a view of perception or perspective 
that is outside of the physical body and looking back at the physical human body. Uh, this is a rather um, profound um, reality that needs to be explored. All right, let's go to the YouTube live chat, and uh, you're going to get a, a kick out of some of the handles here uh, from the YouTube live chat. Not Gordian, K-N-O-T, as in a uh, Gordian, not, not Gordian, asks, uh, William, have you ever heard of negative stories of NDEs or SDEs when somebody saw glimpses of uh, hell instead of heaven? Yes, so there is a good deal of research um, on negative or what they call distressing near-death experiences. And the author on that, um, if you're interested in the literature, is, I forget her first name, but her last name is Bush. And she just, NDE researcher Bush, distressing NDEs, you'll find her literature quite good. And she identified um, a number of, of types of distressing NDEs. It's important to note that the high number for distressing NDEs is, you know, I think it's something between 3 and 10%. And she's up on this literature. I don't want to overstep my bounds here because she really is the expert. And she had one herself. And as a result, she uh, did a great deal of research on this and is you know, like I said, she did a good deal of research, so she's the your ref, your source for that. But they happen in NDEs for sure. And even if you look at Evan Alexander's uh, uh, NDE when he had that um, was in a coma from a, a severe bout of spinal meningitis and E. coli, you know, and was unconscious for quite some time. He had a part of his. Uh, NDE, where he describes what he calls the earthworm eye view, something like that, where it's dark and murky and confusing, and he's lost and it's stuck, you know, he's stuck, and but eventually that gives way to light, and then he goes into this really heavenly realms. Um, in the SDE, you know, I've heard, you know, we've studied deeply 250 cases. I've heard well over a thousand of these cases, and I have rarely heard a negative SDE, and when I do, it's, it's a misinterpretation of the phenomena, and I help uh, normalize the phenomena, uh, kind of allow them to look at their experience differently, and they usually have a, trans, a transformation of their view from, you know, negative or scared or cautious to something more like, oh, curiosity or possibility of wonder and positivity in it. Um, because it's so easy, uh, if you don't know about the ND, SDE, just to be freaked out by it. Because if you don't you know, believe in an afterlife or you don't um, know what to do with when you see angels or elevated beings or have a life review or sees heavenly realms, all that can be a bit freaky if you're of a more, you know, mainstream mindset. So I try to open the aperture at which they view the experience, support them with the evidence that these experiences happen, and give them the feature list and have them begin a process of re-examining their experience from the possibility that this may that these happen, they're normal, and that there may actually be some positive gifts to be tapped from these experiences. Uh, any 
case studies involving someone on death row where let's say the the person administering the lethal injection or you know pulling the switch on the electric chair if they had an SDE I don't have any cases of the of those I do not have any cases of that type of um you know you're de- describing and a you know a, a, this is a death row type case, which is obviously tragic. Uh, do have a number of cases, you know, half dozen, maybe up to a dozen, maybe, of patients using uh, medical aid and dying. And what's so interesting about this, Richard, is some of these cases suggest. Uh, I'll share one with you. Uh, this is a woman who was. Uh, exercising the medical aid and dying in California, and the SDE was reported by a good friend in Massachusetts, that's east coast of the United States, of course. And what the experiencer suggested or shared with us, we'll call her Sonia, and she reports traveling with this her friend, Denny. In fact, you know what? This is in the book, in my book, At Heaven's mm-hmm. Door. So the full case is there if your viewers are interested. But what she reports is she reports going to meeting Denny, having this huge journey across rivers and deserts, and then climbing ladders and elevating into the sky and seeing heavenly realms. Finally, coming to a party at which Denny is the uh, guest of honor, not uncommon, and there's all these people scurrying about to prepare for Denny's arrival. But what's interesting, and Sonia doesn't go into this as much in the book, but you know I've talked to her many times since because this is a research question that came up afterwards after I wrote the book, was that well, what's the possibility that she arrived early? And what and you can see this if you look into Sonia's uh, account in my book, you can see that Sonia describes the the people hosting the party as scurrying about, trying to get the meal ready. The guests haven't arrived. There were supposed to be these dancers to perform a dance for Danny as she arrived, but nothing's quite ready. And it may suggest that people that use physician aid in dying or other tragic, unexpected. Um, death occurrences may arrive too early. In other words, you know, and this challenges our sense that that the people on the other side, these wise beings, actually know everything. Because if they knew everything, then they know when we're arriving. They know that you know, Denny, in this case, had chosen to to use medical aid in dying and was arriving earlier than anticipated if there was already an anticipated time. But I have a few cases like that which to boil it down to the you know singular singular statement suggests that the dying when they use medical aid uh and dying uh seem to surprise or seem to arrive a bit earlier than the welcoming party had anticipated. That's interesting. Fascinating. We'll uh, we'll take another time out uh, and uh, come back with more questions from our YouTube live chat. William Peters, and uh, he is the founder of the Shared Crossing Project, sharedcrossing.com. We'll remind you about that online course as well when we come back. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show 
with Richard Sarrett. All right, once again, here are the details on uh, the Share Death Experience, Transformational Journeys of Life and Love Beyond Death. It's a seven-module live online course presented by our guest tonight, William Peters, and uh, the founder of the Shared Crossing Project, author of At Heaven's Door, and it begins Wednesday, April the 27th. Again, it's seven um, seven weeks, so you've got April 27th to June the 8th, every Wednesday from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you use the code SHARED CROSSING, all in caps, and the number 10, SHARED CROSSING 10, uh, you get 10% off that course. All right, uh, let's go back to the YouTube live chat. And Renee Image uh, writes, I had an NDE and I was happy to go. I even went through the tunnel and saw the light, but a voice told me I needed to go back. Uh, does that happen often? Yes, uh, that does happen quite a bit with the near-death experience. It, they're often told, uh, the experiencer, that it's not their time, uh, that they need to go back to their human life and complete something and or you know live out some something you know, the, the reasons i can't say exactly but most people will say that they realize they had to come back to to do something to complete something the the it seems like the human existence uh serves us in some uh you know educational way that sounds a little a little bit dry but there's some learning, some evolution of our soul spirit that, that we incarnate as humans to, uh, to experience. It's a transformational process towards you know, positive uh, growth in a certain way, in an evolutionary sense. So if you're asked to go back, I'm sorry. I know a lot of, and in my clinical practice, there was a time when a lot of near-death experiencers uh, would be coming to me to share their disappointment that they had to come back, that they missed the euphoria, the good feelings, the peace, uh, and the absence of strife and suffering of, uh, that are, is inherent in the human realm. Um, getting into uh, NDEs for a moment here, the near-death experience, um, because they've been reported throughout, throughout history, but has the advent of anesthesia perhaps diminished or, or um, I don't know, um, reduced the number of NDEs experienced because because of, you know, coming out of the fog of anesthesia. Perhaps people forget about them. Is there any way of even knowing that? I think your the comment you made at the close there, which is it's difficult to know. I think that's what is true, is it's hard to know what the advent of anesthesia uh, how it impacts one's experience or one's ability to remember their NDE. Uh, one thing that's really uh, salient here is that Dr. Pim von Lommel uh, wrote a, you know, did research, actually a fabulous research article. He's a cardiologist, and he did a study on um, NDEs and his patients and other patients receiving cardiac uh, procedures, and he found that I believe a 17% of 
patients in his study who received a cardiac uh, intervention, usually surgical, and I, I, I do believe all of these uh, included anesthesia, but 70%, 17% of them reported a near-death experience. And that article was published in The Lancet, which is a very well-respected international medical journal. And then um, Tim wrote a beautiful book called Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience. And that book came out about a decade ago. It's a spectacular book, I might add. So uh, I would turn uh, that viewer's questions in that direction because Tim Von Loma looks really at the role of medical interventions uh, on people's capacity to have NDEs. The science of the NDE, uh, that's interesting because, I mean, does that suggest that at, at some point we will understand the mechanics of an NDE or an, uh, an SDE, uh, I don't know, people often, you know, they talk about quantum physics. That seems to be the sort of the underlying, you know, answer to everything that we now consider to be paranormal. Uh, but, but, I mean, are there, are there is there a, a field of, of science that actually believes that they can, they can understand this, they can measure it, they can, I don't know, come up with a formula at some point for this? Well, I mean, honestly, this is kind of beyond my expertise. I mean, I'm a psychotherapist. I work with, you know, persons typically at the end of life or in grief and bereavement who have had these experiences and need to process, integrate them, and, uh, you know, make meaning of them so they can go on living with the, with, with the, benefits of these experiences because they're typically referred to as gifts. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, and I help people, you know, throughout that entire process, the dying, the survivors, all, everyone. Uh, but the actual science about, you know, how these happen and why they happen to some, for me, a huge question, which I am researching now is why do these experiences happen for some and why they don't happen for, and not everybody. I mean, why do some people have them? Some people don't. Um, that's a whole huge question, and obviously that involves. Um, I mean, I'm not looking for a theory of everything, if you will, to describe why the SDE happens, why the NDE happens. I would love to stumble upon it, but my goal is really more how to help people have these experiences, how to have help people integrate them into their lives, and to highlight for the uh, medical community, end of life community, and, and general public at large. Uh, the real gifts of the SDE, the sense that, you know, human death is not an end but a doorway into uh, a benevolent afterlife, and that um, relationships with our loved ones seem to continue, and that the SDE uh, is a gateway experience into uh, another type of relationship, not a human relationship. I mean, you know, human death ends a human life. But it doesn't end a relationship between a human and the surviving consciousness. So, well, I've got to take another uh, time off here. Pardon the interruption. This, when we come back, you know, maybe you can sort of uh, just give us uh, – we, obviously, we want people to take the, the seven-week uh, course at sharedcrossing.com, but uh, maybe some, some – uh, a few teases about how we can increase 
our our chances of of having an STE if we have you know a loved one that's getting to, ready to cross over. Uh, William Peters stays with us from the Shared Crossing Project. Back with more in a moment. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Shared death experiences uh, with William Peters. And we'll go back to the YouTube live chat. Joe asks, can deceased friends actually visit us in our dreams or is that just us thinking and dreaming of them? Um, or maybe another way of sort of approaching that uh, that, that question would be, uh, it, I mean, can that be part of the shared death experience is is uh you know through the in, in a dream state yeah so super question um and one that we uh, you know my research team is discerning about and we have a number of um you know questions and and frameworks that allow us to tease these apart so you can have an SDE when you're sleeping, but it wouldn't be in a dream state. It would be a visionary realm of sorts. And I say that because people, when we ask them, will say, oh, no, this was more than a dream. It was more real than my typical dreams, and it wasn't fragmented. It wasn't, you know, it didn't have kind of the, the incoherence and people from different state parts of our lives and distortion. The, the, that's typical dream life. These SDEs, as with dream visions and visitations, uh, if they happen in, while one's sleeping, they're radically different than dreams, so completely different um, phenomena. Because of the clarity, because of the heightened sense of reality, if they will, because uh, the people say they're more real than real. And, um, and so they're, so they're you know, qualitatively different in that regard. Uh, and then in, in terms of whether they're an SDE or a vision or visitation depends on the the messaging in it or the yeah, the phenomenological value, as we say. So in an SDE, you, you, there has to be the sense that you're participating in some sort of journey. You're observing, you're watching, you're accompanying, or you're guiding. Sometimes you get called in actually to guide the dying along the way, but it's really about the, the, the deceased person's uh, initial... Uh, journey from this life into the into an afterlife. Visions and visitations are are different. They usually have messages involved, and they usually appear right in front of or in some way to the surviving loved one, and they they appear somewhat stationary. They're not moving. They're there. They have a message. They're usually wearing some sort of presenting with some sort of identifiable clothing or expression or something that is known to the experiencer as validation for who this person is. Um, yeah, so they're different. They're different in that way. But great question, and one we, we uh, fared out quite a bit. All right, so I know this is uh, something that you, you delve into in the seven-week course, again, at uh, sharedcrossing.com, Wednesdays, 5 to 6.30 Pacific, uh, PM uh, April 27th to June the 8th. Use the code Shared Crossing and the numeral 10, all caps. Shared Crossing and the number 10 for a 10% uh, discount. Uh, discount. Uh, and that is how how, how can you um, maybe a- increase your chances of having a shared death experience? Yes. So what we have found in the research is that 
about two-thirds of our shared death experience research participants have some sort of mindfulness meditative practice. And that means they either pray or meditate or do yoga or a martial art or walk in nature. They have some sort of practice that allows them to both um, be receptive um, and attune, if you will, to their self, their surroundings, and to others. Uh, and also they have these receptive qualities that involve kind of a, a heightened awareness of their feelings and sensations, their phenomenological experience. All that seems to point towards uh, an increased ability to have an SDE. The other thing that really helps is, you know, and I, this is a big part of the teaching I do when I'm working, you know, when I'm teaching groups around this, how to, how to have an NDE, SDE, I shouldn't say NDE, SDE or other end-of-life phenomena, is that you really work on your psychological or emotional unfinished business with your loved ones because that unfinished business, you know, regrets, um, ill will, a uh, sense of, you know, you know, bad, bad blood, if you will, between people, uh, unfinished business needs to be addressed because if it doesn't get addressed, it serves as a hook to keep the dying here and to keep some interference in the clear spiritual communication um, between the dying and the surviving loved one. And then uh, there's a number of other steps I'll talk about in, in this workshop and others about how it is that you essentially, um, if you're the dying, you learn how to maintain your consciousness through death, or if you lose it, how to reconnect with it, and then turn your attention to your loved one or loved ones in the human realm and invite them to join you in the spiritual, spiritual in your spirit realm. And that, um, that's a series of steps. It's too long for this dialogue, but one that I do go into in a, in a variety of workshops, most notably the Pathway Workshop, which I'm not offering now, but my team and I will offer it next fall. Um, but, yeah, but another thing is you need to know about these experiences. I say the first step in any training to have an SDE, I, I think you can have them spontaneously for sure, and, all, and most of our research participants uh, have had them. Um, but to know that it exists as a possibility and to know a lot about it and to know how you might be what the phenomena are, the features are that you can be aware of if you're with somebody dying, or if you're remote and don't know someone's dying, but you end up having these features, then you can, you can welcome them, and they serve as kind of portals to go deeper into this experience. Really important data point. 41% of all SDE experiencers in our research have more than one, which suggests that once you have one, you can have more. So the gate here to get through is how do you have your first SDE? Because after that, you're likely to have more. And I'm a perfect example of that. I've had numerous ones because now I feel like I'm, I've kind of, I know the doorways. And when that door opens, I'm going to say, yes, I'm ready to go. Uh, so, so a great question and an important one. So I appreciate it. Um, but, you know, one other thing to say to your listeners here, Richard, is at the sharecrossing.com, we have a story library. You can go right to our website, go right there. On the story library, you can hear 
about eight different SDE experiences from our uh, from our research participants. They're short. They're like you know three, four, five minutes, but they really give you an idea for the SDE um, initially. Anyway, there's you know. The best description that I could provide was actually in the book because I had a lot more time to do so. I can provide a lot more background information. But it's you know, but I think if your listeners really want to have these SDEs with themselves, you know, themselves with their loved ones, what have you, it's really important to know about them because getting comfortable with each of these features then will serve as a as a doorway, an entryway into the experience. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we we all we all want to live long, healthy lives. Um, but uh, do you now look not to not look forward to death, but are you excited at the prospect of death? I'm, you know, I uh, my friends joke about this with me. They they tease me and say, "You're ready to go right now, William." Um, and that's true. If you know, if it's time for me to go, I I can't i don't notice within me any fear of death or any anxiety about death i'm excited about it when it happens the most important thing for me and i would say to your viewers as well is that we understand that we're here to do to be and do certain things to have certain experiences perhaps to evolve certain characteristics you know virtues or what have you develop in some way make sure that you get that done first because uh, it seems like if you don't, uh, you might have to come back again and do it. Do it, and now you hear the bias there that might suggest that um, I'm I'm not so excited about having to come back again. Um, well, everything I know suggests that the afterlife, um, in the spirit realm, is 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 a lot more enjoyable than being here. Not that there's not joy to be had here. This realm has a you know, as the Buddhists say, ten thousand joys. 10,000 sorrows. We're fine with the joys. It's the sorrows that get us, to get us hooked up here and stay, you know, make us suffer, if you will. So um, I think you know, my goal is to just live fully and, and, and hopefully have the ability and insight to uh, do what I came here to do, which I'm, I'm you know, feeling pretty strongly that the, the teaching I'm doing is, is, is what I'm supposed to be doing here about the SDE. Well, William, always enjoy uh, chatting with you. Uh, thank you so much for this. Richard, thank you so much for having me on your show. And, uh, yeah, it's just always a pleasure to be with you. William Peters, Shared Crossing Project and the website sharedcrossing.com. Uh, don't forget the book, At Heaven's Door. That's available uh, everywhere, Amazon and uh, wherever you buy your books. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Ryan and Carlos. I'll be back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.